overtime, Alabama basketball. I taking on Virginia Tech in the NCAA tournament from Pittsburgh. I'm going to be doing a lot of stress eating tomorrow. <laughs> I'm just going to be into I normal eating, but yeah. <laughs> right on top of Caleb Rowe. Now the stage is a bit shifted over to the right this year. Change range. The 2-1 is a fly ball to deep center field. Way back. Way gone. What a shot by Bailey Hemphill over the 220 side and right at the straightaway center field camera for Mima ESPN. We're tied up at two here in the bottom of the first. And that is about where the stage was last year. So if it hadn't moved, right, that hits the top. Didn't think we'd get a Scooby-Doo reference in today, but hey, why not? That's just, that was my show. That was really awesome. I don't know. I was uh, Scrappy-Doo for Halloween one year. Oh, I need to hear about that. <laughs> but kids today, they don't understand what Halloween costumes were back in the day. You had to if, go. If you didn't sweat buckets and have five problems breathing, you weren't wearing a good costume. <laughs> Episode of the Out of the Box Podcast, starring me and my partner Tom Canterbury, the dynamic duo of radio. We're using that today. You'll find that's, out later on. That's what we're going with. Okay. Yes, that's <laughs> that's our thing. Okay. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury here with you as always. Welcome back to the podcast. We've had a great first half of the season of episodes. Now we're really getting into the nitty gritty. Alabama loses its first series of the year. There's a lot that we have to discuss this week, Tom. Yeah, you know, it's we we even we talked about it even games when Alabama was winning that weren't going weren't just the eight nothing run rule type wins is that you know you're not just going to breeze through even you know the the absolute most talented teams in the country which I think Alabama is one of uh, is just you know they're they're going to have some struggles there's going to be a little bit of ups and downs you kind of just have to grind your way through them it's a long season. Yeah, it is a long season, and it was a long weekend. Yes, because we there were travel issues on the way there, yeah. and then three long games, two of which were late at night, requiring a long day of just waiting. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, fine. Lunch was good. We'll right. get to that later. But well, that's the one thing that traveling with a team, which was you know, this is my fifth year doing it with Alabama softball. Before then, I'd never done it before. But traveling with a team you don't realize how much just downtime there yeah. is. And especially when you're, when the game is at night and you're, and you have all day just to sit around and, you know, so it, it, I think a lot of it in traveling, it's very important for the players to, you know, use their time wisely is be it extra video study, film study, or just, you know, getting off your feet or 
getting extra workouts in whatever whatever is needed to be done uh but it's very easy just kind of sit you know fall into the I'm just going to sit around and watch TV all day trap. Yeah. And you never realize how tired you are until you're on the way back. Right. And I was driving back and I thought, wow, I can't keep my eyes open. And it's seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. And it, that's just what these trips do to you. They drain you. Yeah. So, again, that, that's one of the reasons why that and you're always playing a good team in the conference because right. everybody in the conference is good on the road. It makes it very difficult to win those road series. So before we dive deep into the South Carolina series, here is your trip around the bases. We are currently at the plate. We're talking about Alabama. We're going to talk about this team. We're at the midway point of the SEC season. Where do they stack up? This year compared to last year and what needs to change going forward. We will advance to first as we always do and talk about the SEC and the RPI. Then we will steal second with the great Amanda Scarborough. Really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a great conversation with her and uh, just kind of get a kind of an outsider look at what's going on at Alabama, the SEC and the nation as a whole. Yeah, she's uh, she sees the SEC, one of the hosts of a seven innings podcast. We're not letting her get benched. No, put her in, coach. Yeah, uh, our apologies. If I'll add piano music over this, <laughs> Jenny Dalton Hill, we deeply apologize yes. for getting you benched mm. from the podcast for not mentioning seven innings. Again, we we are pushing for a crossover. We're gonna do like you remember back in the day when Ellen really wanted Oprah on her show, right? And yeah. so she would call Oprah all the time. And just send letters and do segments. <laughs> That's what we're doing with seven innings. Okay. We're, gonna, right. we're going to just. We're, we're going to get them all on individually, and then you might as well just have us all on <laughs> at the right, same We've time. had each of you all on right. at some point. Bro will be here this weekend. So, <laughs> Looking forward to that, too. Yeah. So we will round third and discuss officiating in a brand new segment. Oh, good. Yes. That will be fun. And then we will <laughs> ask each other our five, the five teams that we are most confident right now would be locks for the Women's College World Series. And these are all with the caveat is that we know matchups are always an issue when you get into the postseason. We don't know injuries, things like that. But right. if, if, if we were fielding out the field right now, who would we think? Yeah, and that's why we picked five. If I'd said eight. It's, it's at eight, right. Yeah. There so you we'll go. see how many of those we get correct. And then we will head home and make our predictions for this weekend. We will do Tom's Hungry and maybe a little off the wall, not a huge off the wall segment, but a little. Yeah. So that is the show for tonight, but we will start talking about the South Carolina series. So first series loss of the year, Tom, Mm -hmm. let's break it down. Everything is available. Just your initial thoughts from the weekend. Well, again, my, the thoughts that I already said that it's tough to win in this league on the road. I I think that that has a lot to do with it. I think South Carolina is better than their record indicates in the conference. Uh, their RPI continues to go up as it should. They're, They're one of the most talented teams in the league, regardless of what their record is. So all the credit to what South Carolina was able to do, first of all. And then for Alabama, I think it's just, you know, if, you, if you'd have said, all right, you don't have Montana Fouts for two series and you're three and three, not as good as four and two. I think four and two would have looked a little bit better. You got the win on Sunday, but three and three, still not, not just absolutely, you know, the sky falling situation. Most importantly, Alabama, they just did not get the hits when they needed yeah. them. That, that's, that's what it came down, comes down to is as much as Montana Fouts not being there, played a factor pitching was fine just Alabama's offense after game number one which was the most complete offensive game Alabama probably played all year long just game number two and three had plenty of opportunities but left them on base and just didn't get the timely hits yeah 27 left on base in the series and I believe in the final two games if my memory is correct four for 27 with runners on base 
not going to win many games with that. No. And what's interesting to me, it's not a stat that a lot of people would look at to determine a series, but this is the first time in conference play Alabama has not had a distinct advantage in walks, had just one more walk than South Carolina all weekend. Yeah. So I I think that that had a factor into it. You know, and you saw individual players leaving a lot of people on base themselves. And and then for the first time all season, we saw – Patrick Murphy have to kind of juggle with the lineup. So, right. and I think that it, when the lineup that he originally had before this weekend with Tao leading off Hempill third Jenkins, fourth Brown at the end of the lineup, I think when that lineup is click is clicking real well, that's the best lineup Alabama has. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that is, is contingent on Claire Jenkins being able to protect Bailey Hempill. Yeah. And Claire, after a great Friday, really struggled Saturday and Sunday. So I I think that that had as much to do with it as anything. I think with the lineups going forward, Patrick Murphy needs to stick with the one that has the biggest margin of error. And to me, that would be the towel leadoff one. As long as you've got somebody behind Bailey Hempel that's scary, maybe not even getting hits, but just getting on base, because Claire Jenkins didn't walk this past weekend. Right. Reagan Dykes walked once. Mary Schroeder walked once. So that's two walks in three games from the three people behind Bailey Hempel. Yeah. It's not, not going to get it done. But if you go the Alyssa Brown at the top order, that lineup only works if she gets on base. If she doesn't get on said, base. She's getting on base nor now. No, she so is. Yeah. She is, but if she has an Ofer game, right, it would be a strong indication that the offense would probably struggle that day. Yeah. So I think that the the largest margin of error for Alabama offensively is when you see the lineup they've gone with all year: Tau one, sides two, Hempill three, somebody four. Whether it's yeah. Reagan, whoever's the hottest, Reagan Dykes, Jenkins, Schroeder, interchange those, and then at the bottom, Morgan, Wallace, Brown. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, and I think the other takeaway from this past weekend, you know, you talk about all the hitting and not getting the timely hits. I think back to the responding that we always talked about. And this is the first time all year Alabama not only didn't respond, but didn't respond a ton. Right. It just consistently could not come back when South Carolina put something on the board. Yeah. And I think it's good going forward because now Alabama felt what it's like to not do that because all year long it had come pretty easily. You know, the opponent scores, you come right back and score the next inning. I think facing that adversity, that will prepare them better for the rest of the season than any of the, maybe not any of the success, but some of the success they've had this year so far. Yeah, I, I, there can, you can definitely make a case for that. Um, hopefully it, and it's all about how they respond today and tomorrow and, and Wednesday against a, a not very good Georgia State team. Not very good. Not very good. I think 5-33 and 33 right. last time I checked. So that's a game where it's all about you. You got, it's, you got to work on, on what you do and, you know, you know take, take them seriously, respect them. As Coach Murphy always says, and the best way to respect somebody is to beat them. Do that. But also, you know, get yourself back to where you're, you know, where you're supposed to be. Because that Alabama team that we saw on Saturday and Sunday is not the Alabama team we saw for the first 41 games of the season. And not the Alabama team that they are. No, and it's not who they are. Yeah. It, and again, some of that is just, you know, ups and downs of the season. That, that's what I'm thinking it is. Because in the past, we saw that happen for an extended period of time. Right. In the last couple of years where there's been some struggles. Again, a lot of success, too, in the last couple of years, too. I don't want to act as though the last two years were just terrible failures. <laughs> but I'm just saying we, we saw extended period of times where games went the way they did last weekend. 
we haven't seen that this year, and hopefully the, the bounce back will happen here this week. Yeah, we have to keep in mind, as much fun as we make of Texas A&M, Alabama was doing what they were doing last year. They were losing the first two games of series and winning game three. Right. Did that against Tennessee, did that against Georgia, did that a couple times last year. They're winning these series this year. Yeah. Got game one and just couldn't quite get it together. Games two and three. And I think a lot of factors went into that. The crowd was excellent for game two. Mm-hmm. Best road crowd of the year so far. Better than Arizona, I think. And also, you know, just all the bounces went one way. And that's that just happens sometimes. Yeah. You know, you've had a lot of bounces go your way all year. Not so much this past weekend. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll talk about officiating later on. Yes. And again, not necessarily all bad calls. But it all, it seemed it was one of those series where all the 50-50, all the close calls went against you. Right. So, and it just, and it all kind of snowballed on you. And then, you know, some of it was that Alabama just didn't respond the way they should have. So, before we dive into a preview of the Georgia series this weekend, which should be a blast, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, get to Rhodes, just go now. Yeah. Just go camp <laughs> just out. Just go hang out. Just go. Yeah. It'll be great. Yeah. Three games this weekend and in Monday night softball in Tuscaloosa. But let's take stock of where this team was a year ago. Midway through the conference season, we had just finished a disappointing game three against Florida. That was a game Alabama probably thought they'd won. And then some pinch hitter named Danielle Romanello Goodness. decided to be all heroic. The only pinch hitter, literally, and I'm not, we're not saying this hyperbole or in the, the only pinch hitter who ever had any success against Alexis Osorio, like any, she, she was, she, she most pretty much always struck them out. That is statistically, statistically proven. The, the only pinch hitter that ever had any success against Lex was Romanello. She had the triple against her that helped Florida win that game and, and win the series. But yeah, that's so we're, we're sitting there after that series about midway through where we are now. Yep. Six and six. Mm-hmm. Alabama right now, eight and four, eight and four last year, I would have been thrilled, but this year I'm even more ecstatic because I think eight and four in this sec yeah, in an sec in a messy C, if you will, a conference where there seems to be neither rhyme nor reason and no real front runner Mm -hmm. to be in the top three or four spots at the midway point, I think is huge. I totally agree. And that's one of the things we, you know, we mentioned at at one point, looking at how the schedule sets up for Alabama, it is a, a backloaded schedule for the most part, or at least it looked like a backloaded schedule at the beginning of the season. I think it, it probably still is, but, yeah. but when we were looking at it, we were saying pile up some wins here when you have the opportunity against, you know, the A&Ms and the Missouri's, those type of teams before you have to face the Georgias and the Floridas and the Kentuckys. And Alabama did that. Now, I think maybe nine and three instead of eight and four. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm perfectly fine where Alabama's at. Yeah, me too. And I think just the key going forward, Alabama to win the league, I think needs one more sweep. If they can get one more sweep, they'll be in a real position going to LSU to win the conference. Now, whether that happens, I don't think it's happening to Florida. It's tough to sweep Florida in Gainesville. I think Alabama Again, will sweep. It's tough to win a win a series on the yeah. road. Period. I think it will either happen against Kentucky, that would be where I would hedge my bets, or Georgia this weekend. But I think Alabama really needs to sweep one of those to set themselves up going into Baton Rouge to maybe win the conference. Yeah, works for me. And I think uh, there was only the one sweep this weekend, correct? The Florida-Arkansas was the only, the only sweep. Correct. Series. So there have been seven total sweeps in the conference this year, period. 
of all the series that have been played, almost everyone has played four now. Most importantly, you have to avoid being swept. Right. That's that's like that's that's the thing you have to avoid at all costs. But then if you can get that one, you can get an extra sweep in there. Yeah, it really sets you up well. Well, speaking of avoiding things, previewing Georgia Alabama, I think it is. I wouldn't call it a must-win series, but I would say this weekend is a would really like to win it series because if Alabama were to lose this series, Montana Fouts back or not, that is a big momentum confidence crusher at home big crowds coming Saturday Sunday Monday against a Georgia team that's been disappointing Alabama again not must win but would really really like to win and maybe kind of a little needs to win the series against Georgia it depends on what your what your goal is you know if the goal is to win the conference I agree I think they have to win this win the series if I would say also host super regionals right would be in there as well yeah it's probably in there i mean unless you know if you were to lose this series but then turn around and sweep florida or something to that effect then maybe you're back in that conversation but uh yeah if you're if you're thinking about winning this conference you're thinking about being a top eight national seed these are type of series you got to win so what about pitching what do you think because we saw this past weekend the same deal cornell gettins cornell Second straight Sunday game, Sarah Cornell has not pitched poorly. I asked Stephanie Van Brakel Prothrow after the game and said that pitch to Jana Johns, that Johns hit for the two-run home run. The only runs of the game. Yes. Mm -hmm. Was it a mistake pitch, or was that just a darn good piece of hitting like I thought? And she said she just somehow got a hold of it. It was a good pitch by Cornell on the outside of the plate. Yeah. So Sarah did not pitch poorly. South Carolina just barreled up one, and that was the difference. And then Crystal Goodman comes in and looks the best she's looked all year against one of the top two or three offenses Alabama's faced all year. Right. So what does Patrick Murphy do if Montana Fouts is not back this weekend? And again, the hope is that she is going to be back. But Hopefully. We, again, there's not been an official timetable. We don't know. But I think if, if she is not back, I think you go Sarah, Courtney, Crystal. And again, I think it's a Crystal, Sarah, you know, double team. But you maybe you start Crystal because this again this is the second Sunday in a row that we've seen Sarah come out and give up runs again. She wasn't even getting hit hard by Mississippi State. Yeah, Mississippi State. I, was yeah. like, I forgot who we played. Wasn't even get hit, but she gave up four singles in a row. Right, and, and a poor play out in the field turned into four runs, and she's out of the game. And this this game, she gave up the one home run, had a double later on that ended up chasing her. But uh, she she wasn't pitching poorly. But when you look at how good Crystal did coming in five plus innings of, of shutout softball against a team that had all the momentum at home trying to finish Alabama off, kept giving the offense opportunities. I, I think she's, she's earned the, the start on Sunday if Montana Fouts is not back. If Montana Fouts is back, you put her back in at front Friday, Sunday, and you roll with it. Yeah, and if Montana opinion. Fouts is back, I now have way more confidence. I, I think the best thing about this Montana Fouts injury is we have learned a lot about the pitching staff. Mm-hmm. We've known that Courtney Gettins is back. She still got it. She needs a lead to pitch really comfortably, as most pitchers do. Yeah, it's helpful. It, <laughs> it's, it's a lot helpful when you go out there and you're already up three, four, nothing. <laughs> I promise. But I think she looks better. Crystal Goodman is really good and now really good against good competition. Yep. So I think you've got a bunch of relief options and maybe, you know, second inning relief options. If Montana Fouts has a rough first inning, you take her out, bring in somebody, bring her back yep. in in the fourth. Yeah, or, see what or maybe you don't start Montana on Sunday. You start one of somebody else, and then Montana comes in on the back end. Yeah, if your offense builds it up. Right. Yeah, and so against Georgia, you're going to need the pitching. Yes, they they can hit the ball. Soon. This is a team that 
is 30 and 11. They've had some puzzling games, very puzzling. But Alyssa DiCarlo still leads the country and the SEC by default in home runs with 20, hitting 418. Lacey Fincher, the freshman, 367 this year. Justice Mills, 347. Sierra Bryan, 330. Lineup still pretty harsh. Yeah. Right behind that. So the pitching for Alabama has to be on point against the Bulldogs. I agree, but I, I think as important, if not more so, is Alabama's hitting has to come Correct. back. The, the, the hitting has to be able to kind of match what Georgia's able to do because you know you, this is the type of team that even if you have Montana fouts back, you can't ask your pitchers to be perfect against. Yeah, You need to put up some runs against a shaky at times pitching staff that the Bulldogs have. Yeah, I was going to get to that because uh, there are four main pitchers in conference play. Mary Wilson Avant, Kylie Bass, Allie Cutting, Lauren Mathis. The lowest ERA of those four is in conference play, 4.44. There you go. And we've seen Avant and Bass you know, last year. Right. So, you know, you have the book on them. You know, Avan had a really good she threw a one hitter. Against was, Auburn. Against yeah. Auburn. So she she has the ability. She's still a, a good pitcher, but you know, you you gotta come out and, and put some runs up. Yep. So the offense will need to back up the pitchers. Hopefully Montana Fouts will be back. We do not have anything official. Don't add us. We don't know. We don't know. People are adding us. No, all the time. <laughs> we don't know. Even when I don't ask them to. <laughs> when she is back, everyone will find out at the same time. We might find out like 10 minutes before right. y'all do. <laughs> if you see us leaving the dugout doing backflips, you'll know. <laughs> you that know, means, that means back. she's back. Right. I mean, she's back. <laughs> We're hoping that happens this weekend, but again, no official word. So that is Alabama. We talked about the South Carolina series, broke down Georgia. Now let's break down what Georgia did last weekend as well as what happened around the rest of the SEC. Oh, look, Tom, Florida won a series. Wow. How about that? And they even won a game two as well. Oh, miracles happen. I seem to remember. I I predicted something close to this didn't quite happen. What I thought was going to happen. Well, we'll get to those later. Okay. All right. But in just a moment, we will advance to first because we we've put we, it in play. We put it in play and we stayed in the box. Yes, we did. Toes tip tapping. <laughs> Although we might still get called out. Who knows? Yeah, we'll, yeah, get to, yeah. we'll get to that later. But it's time to advance to first and talk about the SEC on the other side here on episode six of Out of the Box. to the podcast we have put it in play and now we are advancing to first laid down a bunt did not step out of the box no good which is ironic because that is the name (laughs) of this podcast gray robertson and tom canterbury here with you we are advancing to first and it is time to talk about the sec where it just means more as always Shrug. Mm-hmm. Head tilt. <laughs> and uh, before we dive into what happened in last weekend's series, let's go over the SEC standings in first. A new first place team, Tom. 11-4 and four LSU. They deserve it at this point. Yeah. Got a two out of three against Mississippi State this past weekend. Number two, tied for second, Alabama and Auburn at eight and four. Just like everyone thought. Yeah. Ole Miss in fourth, seven and four. Tennessee in fifth at seven and five. In sixth is Kentucky. At eight and seven, Florida, your preseason SEC champion, is in seventh at six and six. 
Tied with Missouri. Yes. Who was picked last <laughs> yes, of course in the preseason poll. Missouri in eighth, Georgia in ninth at five and seven, tenth, Arkansas six and nine, eleventh, South Carolina, five and nine, and tied for twelfth, Mississippi State and Texas AM. The real story here, obviously, midway point of conference play. Last place in the conference in the preseason, Missouri. Tied at the midpoint with the preseason champion Florida Gators. How? Yeah. It doesn't well, make sense. And that's and that's why if you listen to the podcast last last week, you have uh one team, the surprise and the uh according to Gray Robertson, the coach of the year in the conference, and you have according to both of us, the disappointment in the conference so far this year in Florida. Now Florida kind of got things back on track this week. We'll see if they're able to uh, sustain that momentum moving forward, but uh, I think the way that these standings already reveal is that the the winner of this conference this year is going to have more conference losses than anybody has had to, to win this conference, maybe ever. Yeah. I think we're going back to maybe episode two and we talked about the conference having a big gap. I think it's now become just everyone's yeah, kind of, I was wrong. Everyone's balled up together. I, there, yeah. It looked like it. It did for a while. And then everyone who is below started beating all the teams above. Right. And the gap just smushed. Yeah. So, I mean, you're seeing a, a league now, where anyone can literally beat anyone on any given day. And I think you see also see a league where uh, you're going to see all 13 make the NCAA tournament. Really? Assuming, again, we're looking at Missouri's uh, appeal. Uh, but I, I think if that appeal goes through, Missouri's definitely in, and I think A&M is, is definitely making their case. That was one of my landminer gold mines. I said not all 13 would make it. There you go. So but we'll see. Calling me wrong already. Well, Tom. I'm not. I'm just <laughs> saying, look at it. I mean, A&M's 25 and 15. They've ever since they won that game on Sunday against Alabama, they've gone on a gone on a tear. They're Sunday scaries and, for and Texas sun- A&M opponents. Sunday scary, indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, you mentioned Florida. We'll start talking about that sweep over Arkansas. Run rule victory in game two. None of the three games, Florida offensively, other than game two, really was spectacular, but they did just enough mm-hmm. because Kelly Barnhill was able to shut down the Arkansas offense and I'm we're going to ask Amanda Scarborough about this later. But my big takeaway was, gosh, Arkansas really just can't hit because we've seen team. You know, they had a couple long balls. They had a couple runs. But gosh, when Mary half isn't on, she just uh, if she can't keep an offense down, it's hard for Arkansas to win. And even when Autumn Storms is pitching well and just has one bad inning, it's hard for Arkansas to win. So that is a team right now that I just don't trust. And I don't think that says anything about Florida, you know, as if, oh, they're fixed. Everything mm. is fine. Right. I don't think so. I think Arkansas is just that anemic right now. Uh, that's harsh, but I think that's the case right now. I'm not going to go so far as to say I think I don't think Florida is completely fixed, but I don't think I don't think they're as bad as as, as we were kind of hoping they were, <laughs> they were going to be. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think it's still a question mark for Barnhill because of her usage i think at some point that's going to hurt them so that's kind of they could be winning all their games right now and that would still be the case if kelly barnhill throws this this many innings after pitching all off season pitching all last season it's just at some point she's going to hit a wall so I, I i think that is more of an issue right now than anything else for florida and you know getting somebody other than their top two batters uh, hitting they kind of got that going a little bit against Arkansas. We'll see if they can sustain that. But Florida, I think, is is scary. I still would not want to play them postseason time. Yeah. I do wonder where Natalie Lugo went. Did not get the start in game two. I don't know if she's hurt. I haven't read anything. But 
She has disappeared. Didn't start game two. It was Elizabeth Hightower. Right. So well, I mean, whether she's she's available or not, Tim Walton has shown that he has no no faith in her. So yeah, I, I think he's just kind of searching for a number two. Take a little bit off of Barnhill, but there, there doesn't seem to be one showing up. Yeah, which is odd. Lugo this year, it's been a bit of a struggle, a one eight eight ERA, but has only seen fifty nine and two thirds this year. Kelly Barnhill has seen one hundred and fifty three and two thirds. Wow, that that's a full season for that, a lot of people. <laughs> that for a lot is of number a ones, lot. yeah. For a lot of number ones, that's a full season. So I, that's why I'm saying I think eventually that's going to come back to get them, even if they were winning other games right now. So Florida gets the sweep over Arkansas. Missouri, Tom, stepped out of conference. Mm. I, I don't know. I yeah. gave I give Larissa Anderson, who followed, by the way, the out-of-the-box Twitter account, as all of you should as well, at out-of-the-box underscore pod, follows the account. I give her SEC Coach of the Year midseason. They come right back and promptly lose to 5-31 and 31 Pittsburgh. <laughs> At home. Mm. And then the next day, and that was, by the way, right before losing to Oregon. The next day, they play Oregon again. Maddie Norman throws a no-hitter. What is this team? <laughs> well, they're a team with uh, with a good offense and a team with questionable pitching. But when that pitching is on, it's really, really good. And, you know, but they're a team that literally can beat anybody and they're a team that can lose to almost anybody as well. One of my ra- main points that I made, I was half joking, but, you know, picking uh, Coach Murphy over Larissa Anderson for the midseason coach of the year in the conference was Missouri lost to Bradley. <laughs> you know, and Missouri, you know, they had lost some of those midweek games when, you know, Norman was going to be pitching. And, and I, I think those are the type of games that you look at somebody like Alabama, they're not going to lose. So, yeah, Missouri. They're weird. They travel to Ole Miss this weekend. Should be interesting. We'll pick that later on. Yeah, they, they lost to Bradley and then swept Kentucky. Right. So, so who yeah, knows? Who knows? Who yeah, knows? 100%. They close conference play. They've got four series left. At Ole Miss, Texas A&M at home, at Mississippi State, South Carolina. They can, they can win all four of those or they could lose all four of those. Who knows? Uh, and I would be equally unshocked. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be more surprised if I woke up and my head was sewn into the carpet. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So Missouri, weird weekend. Who's surprised? But congratulations El- on the no hit of Oregon. That's, yeah. a, that's a heck of a heck of a Pete. I know Oregon's not as good as they normally are this year, uh, but to, to get that win there, and that's going to be some positive momentum. We'll see how it works out from this weekend. Yeah, and they play Illinois tomorrow in the midweek. Which, you know, Illinois not... As bad as they normally are. Now beat Minnesota this past weekend. Yeah, so that that's we'll see how they how they fare up against them in in a improved Big Ten, and also that's a rivalry with Missouri and Illinois. So we'll see how that works out. Should be a lot of fun. A rivalry of sorts this past weekend, LSU Mississippi State, because it was easily of three combined games the most entertaining series of the weekend. You saw LSU win two out of three games, two and three. Seventh inning home runs were required to get the victories. It was a lot of fun to watch. Mm -hmm. Alabama probably needed Mississippi State to win one of those two games. Would have been helpful. But you look at it, and you can't really be surprised that LSU got a game from Mississippi State after what we saw a couple weekends ago in Tuscaloosa because that offense, when they're on, they're really dangerous. Yeah, Mississippi State's a very pesky team. They're a team that's going to be able to – you know, get one from you. It's gonna, they're, they're, a, they're a team that's very difficult to sweep. 
Now they're they're a team that's not going to maybe win a lot of the, the series, but they're going to be very difficult to sweep. And uh, they have that offense, Mia Davidson, Falalua, uh, that they they're going to hurt some people. <laughs> they they will mash the ball, uh, and if they're having one of those type of games, and the the pitching can give them anything, which is what I thought was happening in game number three. Mia Davidson had the late home run, gave him the lead, and then Florida and then LSU was able to get it back from him. Right. Yeah, LSU pitching was a little concerning this past weekend. You you got Wickersham. It, it needs to be <laughs> moving forward for to give other people a chance, please. Thank you. Yeah, looking at a, looking at the ERAs for the season right now, Wickersham one nine four, Gorsuch two seventeen, Sinceri two twenty two. And Kilponen, kind of a surprise, because when I've watched her, she's pitched well, but three, four, five. Hmm. So ERAs that are fine, but when you run into offenses that are hot, that's yeah. when you'll see those pitchers exposed. I think one thing that we're seeing in this league is that it's an offensive league now. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there, there, are, there are a few shutdown number one starters, but after that, you know, it's pe- people that you'll have a lot of very capable pitchers that can have really good weekends like Dixie Rayleigh had against Alabama. Right. But they're probably not going to be able to do that week in and week out against as good of offenses as there are in this league. Uh, so it's just, it, it's, it's kind of hard to say, well, you look at the numbers as ah, she's, you know, we've seen her get knocked around a couple times. That doesn't mean she's not, not a good no, pitcher. Yeah. It, it doesn't just, mean she can't get hot. Right. It just means that she went up against the buzzsaw offense. Probably. Yeah. If we go back to this past weekend, you mentioned Dixie Rayleigh. Boy, I, I watched film. She looked fine. She was the pitcher that beat LSU, but she gave up five runs. She mm-hmm. looked okay this year, but everything was working against Alabama. Yeah. And I saw people comment, well, we'll get to off the wall. We'll okay. save that for off the wall. Right. All right. We saw it with Emily Williams, what she did with, yes. from Mississippi State. And Again. then she shuts out LSU game one. There you go. So, and we probably thought Van waited one pit, one batter too late <laughs> to put Emily in there in game number three. Yeah, we said, oh, you should bring in Emily Williams. LSU hits a home run. Then bring in Emily. Yeah. Well, you're losing now, Van. Uh, <laughs> come on. All right. So we mentioned Texas A&M Sunday Scaries. Yep. Another game three victory to avoid the sweep for pesky Texas A&M, led by Kendall Potts, might I add. They get game three against Georgia. So this is a thing now, just winning game threes and yep. slowly hanging around near the basement of the conference, but winning enough games to probably stay in NCAA tournament consideration. Yeah. You take a look probably historically, especially the last uh, two seasons that, that the SEC has put all 13 teams in, there's been a team like that. Yeah. That has, you know, they, they get blown out in game number one. It's a close game number two and game number three, they win. And that's kind of A&M's MO this year. And I think that's, a, that's actually, when you look at it, a heck of a coaching job by Joe Evans because we looked at, you know, talent wise up and down, it was going to be hard for them to get that 30 win mark that we were talking about with Joe Evans, but I think they're going to get there. Yeah. Somehow, <laughs> somehow <laughs> by hook or by crook, they're going to get there. <laughs> and if they get there, I think they're in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. 25 wins right now for the Aggies. And finally, what was supposed to be Saturday, Sunday, Monday turned into, what was it? Saturday, Sunday, Sunday. Yes. Yeah. Tennessee and Auburn. You picked a Tennessee sweep. I did. I had Auburn winning one game. Auburn goes up and wins the first two. What the heck does this mean, Tom? I don't know anymore. (laughs) You know, um, maybe Auburn's a little bit better than we were giving them credit for. Their offense really came alive there against a very good uh, Tennessee pitching staff. That was one of the reasons why I picked Tennessee to win the conference was I thought that they had the most proven 
deepest pitching staff in the league. Alabama had a really good staff. They just weren't all proven. Right. Uh, Tennessee had that in addition to the offense that they had. Uh, but for Auburn to go on the road and to win that series in Knoxville says a lot about the Tigers. It was very impressive. Yeah, and Chardonnay Harris shutting out the Vols in game two. Right. And again, that's what I was saying. A lot of the there are pitchers in this league that are not the number ones, uh, or even if they are the number ones, but they're it's not they're not a, a confirmed number one type. But they can go out there and have those type of games, and Chardonnay Harris did that. Yeah, Tannen Snow now hitting 385 this year with 12 home runs and had a couple this past weekend for Auburn. Casey McCracken at 378, Taylor Snow right. at 376, and Brittany Marisette at 361. So those are the top four bats on the team and obviously pretty hot. So this Auburn offense, I thought a bit of a flash in the pan because when we did buy or sell last weekend, their best win at that point had been Mississippi State. Right. And now you throw in Drake. They beat Drake. They moved in the top 25 of the RPI, but now two wins against Tennessee. Maybe the Tigers and Mickey Dean, maybe they are for real. Yeah, and I think you got to give Mickey Dean a lot of credit too because this was a team in the pre-conference that lost a couple of games that we were kind of scratching our heads about. Didn't think that they, you know, um, there was a, a law tech loss in there. There was a Missouri state, Missouri, you know? Yeah. So there are some losses in there that you weren't, you were kind of, well, maybe this is not going to be Auburn's year. We saw a transfer from Auburn mid, you know, mid preseason or pre-conference, which you don't see once the season starts, you don't see transfers very often. Right. Uh, so, you know, we were wondering if there was an issue there, but you know, they've, they've gelled at, at this at the right time now. And they are, they've kind of set themselves up like Alabama to all right well again you can't win the you can't win the league in march and april but you can kind of put yourself behind the eight ball they have not done that so let's dive into the rpi quickly before we go to break the sec and the rpi here is where everyone stands now lsu staying at four florida staying at nine tennessee jumps alabama moves up to 10 alabama drops to 11 before we move on thoughts so Tennessee loses two out of three and jumps Alabama, who also lost two out of three. And Tennessee lost at home. Alabama lost on the road. Okay. That is where I think opponents yeah. can come into play there and who you but, played and who they lost to. Yeah. I it's guess. just one of those, those formula type things, but yes. Because those two must have been very close for that jump to happen. Yeah. Maybe Alabama's 10 was very, you know, was a, a quote low 10 in Tennessee's. A ten was a or Tennessee's eleven was a high eleven, and it I guess was, I, I, I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. Don't give me a calculator; I still won't figure it out. <laughs> Ole Miss let me, is twelve. Let me take off my shoes. Hold on. <laughs> Ole Miss is twelve. Auburn moves up to thirteen from fifteen. Kentucky continues to plummet. They are now eighteen. Mm. A couple weeks ago, they were seven in the RPI. Right. South Carolina moves up to twenty three. Honestly, thought they would get a little bit bigger of a bump. Mississippi State down one to twenty five, even though they won a game off LSU. Arkansas down to 26, Georgia up three spots to 34, Texas A&M up three spots to 40, and Missouri, when you lose to Pitt. That'll hurt you. Yep. Down 11 spots to 43. Yeah, looking at these RPIs, I'll even say more so A&M is is in in the tournament as it stands right now. I I think now you're getting to the point of the season where you can start looking as far as, as regional host type, you know, super regional host looks. I think it, if you look at the top four in the conference in the RPI, uh, when you have LSU, Florida, Tennessee, and Alabama, Florida, I think, is the one that's most tenuous out of those four. 
as far as being a top eight type seed. Right. Uh, I think if it, if the tournament happened today, I think LSU, Tennessee, and Alabama would be a top eight. Hmm. And then, you know, I think Florida's hosting regional. I think Ole Miss is at number 12. They're hosting a regional. Auburn's probably hosting a regional. So would you say the cutoff line for potential regional hosts, maybe even as of right now, where would that be? I like, think, could you see Georgia fighting back? I think they might be too low. As I think I think the hole is a little bit too deep. Yeah, I think you're looking at six regional hosts for out for the SEC and three super regional hosts, depending on uh, what else happens in in say the Pac-12 and and the Big 12, because I, I know they're going to try all that they can to get Texas to be a be a top eight, right? Uh, but they'll probably have to win that series against Oklahoma to do that. Well, and think about the locks: Oklahoma lock, right? UCLA lock, right? Florida State. Lock right. Arizona, probably probably a lock. Yeah. So that's for Washington. I'll even throw Washington in there. Yeah. Probably a lock. So that's five spots. So I might take th- Arizona out. Four locks. Yeah. Four locks, and then fit in a couple SEC teams. Texas is right there. Minnesota could be right there as well. I don't see Minnesota being a top eight. I think they'll be a sixteen, but I don't think they'll be a top eight. Maybe unless they. Well, I, I thought their RPI would drop more by now. They're still hanging on they, at eight. They still have three or four series in the Big Ten. That's going <laughs> to hurt. They could they could win them a hundred to nothing, and they're going to fall. So uh, you're not I, wrong. Yeah. So I, I don't. I think they'll get a regional host, if nothing else, just so that no one storms wherever the uh, the um, no, no one from Minneapolis will storm wherever the committee is putting this together. If they make them go on the road again <laughs> after what happened a couple <laughs> years ago, it will not be pretty. Alabama opponents RPI will just say one thing. The award for biggest drop of the week. Oh, no. Last week, we gave it to Southern Miss, right? I believe it was that two weeks ago. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think it was Southern Miss because last week it was because I was hoping Georgia Tech had done well, and then they didn't. <laughs> so, no. No, they did not. Yeah, Georgia Tech is down to 73. Man. But the biggest drop of the week. Congratulations to New Mexico dropping 28 spots in the RPI. From 139 to 167. Who, who, what terrible team did they lose to to make them fall that far away? All I know is they are currently last in conference overall. And this is a team that played well against Arizona and played well against Florida. And Alabama. And, and Alabama. Good job, Lobos. Don't get it. No help. Don't no get help it. there. You pitch your one good game all right. year and you don't even win. Yeah, and then... that's, the way, that's the way it usually goes. Yeah. All right, so I'm, that I'm, is, I'm glad to see USF moving up, continuing yeah. to, to move up. I think that's going to be a better and better win as we look back. Um, let's see, where's Missouri State? Fell a little bit. They're down to 65, uh, but you know that 75 is the big cutoff cutoff line. Georgia Tech stands there at 73, uh, with Missouri State at 65. Fullerton fell again as well. Troy did too. Is is a rough week. Overall, for yeah. uh, for that non-conference schedule for Alabama, might be seeing why Alabama dropped from ten to eleven. Right, and if there are a couple that are key to me for just going forward, I think it is important that Texas A and M and Missouri have threes as the first digit on their number. They really can't drop out of a top forty. Yeah, and uh, Troy probably needs to go up just a touch. Fullerton up a touch, and would love to see Georgia Tech find a way to get back into the top sixty. Yeah, Georgia Tech and even Maryland, who fell 15 spots from 73 to 88. Yeah. You know, and, and again, they're in a, the problem with them is they're in that Big Ten, just like Minnesota is. So they're, they're going to not have some great series moving up for them strength schedule wise. 
Yeah, so that is the RPI updated as we currently have advanced to first. But now, Tom, we've got the sign. Yes. We are green light guys. Well. Flashing yellow, but flashing I'll take yellow. it. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, Claire's Clare still got stolen bases. We can still do it. And that, if you're flashing yellow, that means you're hitting dingers, Tom. That, there you go. Thank you very much. Yeah. So it is time for us to steal second. We will do it with the great Texas Aggie, Amanda Scarborough, one of the hosts of the Seven Innings podcast as well. Amanda, we are not getting you benched like we did JDH. We won't let it happen. That coming up here on the other side of the Out of the Box podcast, episode six. Podcast. I'm Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury here with me as always, the dynamic radio Alabama duo, yeah, as thank, always. Yeah, thank you, yes. <laughs> we, that's what we call ourselves, and it is time... Just now, this is the first time we've ever done that, actually. <laughs> and it is time for us to steal second here on the podcast with one of the legends of the game, ESPN softball analyst, two-time All-American at Texas A&M, and I will add this because I do not want to get her benched. One of the hosts of a seven innings podcast, Amanda Scarborough. Amanda, how are you? <laughs> Good. I'm so glad that you went ahead and got it out of the way because I did not want to get benched this weekend. <laughs> and once again, we apologize to Jenny Dalton Hill. We did not mean to get her in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but can we be the? Di- I know it doesn't have good alliteration, but the dynamic trio today. I mean, dynamic absolutely. Duo, I just I want to be someone with a trio with you guys. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it was good to see you this weekend in Columbia, South Carolina. You were calling Game Two of the Alabama South Carolina series, a series that continued to muddle the SEC standings looking at it it is just a jumbled mess so please Amanda Scarborough help us make sense of the messy sea right now (laughs) that's a good name for it um I I just can't get over it really how everyone is beating everyone because you look at Florida who's won the SEC for the past four years and they had somewhere between three and maybe five losses for every year that they won it the past four years so Right now, LSU and Alabama at the top and even Auburn down below them, they have four losses already, and we still have four SEC series left. So everybody is beating everybody. I think that a big part of that is because of pitching. Uh, It's really an offensive league, Um, but it's just been a lot of fun to follow, and it's truly going to come down to the end. I can't wait for that uh, Alabama and LSU series that last weekend, or the first weekend of May with the last weekend of SEC play. So we'll get to Auburn, who's up there as well. But do you think right now it's down to Alabama and LSU, or is there still a lot more fluidity to come in this conference? I think after seeing everybody play, I personally think it's going to come down to those two teams. But um, my big question mark, and I know you want to talk about this later, but with you know with Alabama nationally and then also Alabama within the SEC is just Montana South. I mean, she's just such a big part of their team. So with her being unavailable the past couple of weekends. And, you know, I, I know the coach Murphy hoped to have her back for this weekend uh, going up against Georgia, but until she's back and can, you know, prove that she's healthy enough to still contribute, then that really to me takes a toll on Alabama, especially with the, the harder schedule that they have coming up in SEC play that rounds out their SEC schedule. It's definitely back and loaded for them. But, um, 
in my mind, LSU has really proven themselves. I mean, their RPI is like four. So it's not just by chance that they're at the top of the SEC. They've really proven themselves this entire year. Another team that's an interesting case study right now is the Tennessee Lady Vols, a team that even when they lost Shipman still, when you look at them top to bottom, they're one of, if not the most talented team in the league, but they really struggled against uh, Auburn losing that series at home, and they've really had a up and down last couple of weeks in the conference. What do you make of the, of the Vols? You know, I was going back and looking at their schedule because I knew that we were going to talk about them today, and I kind of felt the same way until I really kind of narrowed it down that Tennessee versus Auburn were just two good teams playing against each other. And you take away Cannon Snow for Auburn, who single-handedly basically beat Tennessee in game one, and that's a really even series. So to me, Tennessee and Auburn were two teams going up against each other who were top 15 in RPI because I go back to that because I feel like it's just a really good gauge of truly how not so much an opinion, but truly, you know, taking out some stats, how good and solid a team is. And Tennessee's at 10, Auburn is at 13. So it's just two teams going up against each other. And, you know, one, one player had just a terrific weekend, uh, but I'm, I'm not worried about Tennessee. And I think that um, we're not talking about Auburn enough personally. Um, and they had a really, uh, Auburn had a really great weekend, even without Michaela Martin. But I still think that Tennessee is a very good team. That was their first SEC series loss. So I, I'm not too worried about them. I, I think that they'll figure it out or figure it out. I think they're still a really good team. And kind of going back to Auburn, you mentioned, you know, Michaela Martin being out. I still haven't heard a timetable. Not sure when she'll be back, but she's missed the last couple series. Go on the road, beat a really good Tennessee team. Chardonnay Harris pitched out of her mind, was absolutely spectacular in game two in the offense. Like you said, the Snow Sisters doing well. McCracken continues to have a hot bat. Is this an Auburn team that is for real that maybe could be a regionals host? Whereas, you know, when we were talking in the preseason, I think Tom had Auburn 10th. I had them 9th in the preseason poll. Yeah, I, I, I think that they are. I, I really do because nobody's talking about them. I think that they're a team that um, coming into, they didn't quite know how they were going to be, to be honest, but they're a team that when I watch them play, they fight so hard within their at-bats. Like I truly see a team that is completely bought into this year and almost have that, uh, that underdog mentality throughout this entire year. They played Washington tough earlier on in the season and they did have that loss to Texas tech, but, but they go up against ranked opponents and they're not scared to play them. So when you do have a pitcher like Chardonnay Harris, I mean, watching her this weekend, her stuff was electric and she's Mm left-handed. So even though Michaela Martin is out, Chardonnay Harris just looked like she could beat anybody in the country. Basically to me, Um, I I really like this team and I don't, I don't think that we're talking about them enough because of the fight and how well that they play together. And they have that underdog mentality. I, I like Auburn. Talking to Amanda Scarborough, the uh, ESPN softball analyst and also part of the Seven Innings podcast here on Out of the Box. Uh, <laughs> Again, just, right, making, just sure. making sure everybody's covering everybody's all covered. bases. Uh, but uh, you were also you were at the game, as Gray mentioned earlier, on Saturday in Columbia, Alabama against South Carolina. Unfortunately, uh, for us at least, you saw Alabama's maybe worst game of the season overall, but you said you still think that they're a, a contender in the conference and i uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on where you think alabama stands and stacks up nationally i i think alabama is so good i've just been so impressed with them 
for this entire year. They're, they've just been so much fun to watch play this year with their athleticism and their speed and their power and their solid pitching staff that they can rely on. So I, I really, really, really like Alabama. And I, again, I can't wait to see how they finish with their really heavy uh, and loaded schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, my little concern for them is just the amount of ranked opponents that they've played. So to me, these last few weekends in SEC play, whenever they go up against Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, LSU, are just really important. And I just am at the edge of my seat, and I'm sure every Alabama softball fan is, to see when is Montana Fouts going to be able to get back out there and do it in a way where she's not rushed, but she's feeling healthy and it's a good timing for her, and she'll truly be able to be her best self out there in the circle to contribute to a team that, uh, you know, I was talking about in March would be a Women's College World Series uh, team that, that should be able to get there. Is there a player for Alabama offensively that you feel needs to have a really big last couple weeks for Alabama to accomplish all the goal, all the goals that I think a lot of people think they can this season? It seems like when Claire Jenkins does well, the Alabama team does well. And it's easy to say, oh, it's going to be Bailey Hempel because she's the star player. She's going to get all the attention. But to me, I feel like Alabama is playing the best whenever Claire Jenkins is swinging the bat really well and, and having good at bats and and finding ways to come up with, with runners and scoring position and driving them in because I, I there's just something about her. I, I don't know what it is, but when she has those big at-bats, it like gets the, team, the rest of the team super excited for her. Um, and then, too, I, I just think Maddie Morgan, I love the way that you know she holds down the bottom of the lineup with a really good presence at the plate, and she's, she hits left-handed, and she has that power. She kind of has that bulldog, like, fiery mentality. I like what she brings at the bottom of the lineup, too. Oh, Amanda, just so you know, uh, I know you've made Gray very happy. He is the president of the Claire Jenkins Fan Club and has been for all three years she's been here. So, that is correct. Yeah, so you've made him ecstatic for that answer. We have known that she could do this her whole career. And as the president of the club, excited to finally see the results coming in this season. Yeah, wow, what a crazy turnaround for her, right? She got, what, like 150 in her first two seasons, and you see what she's doing this season. And leading the team – with the amount of home runs in SEC play, I believe still, um, yeah, I still think that's right. It's between her and Hempel, but I think she's one up on even Hempel with her contributions in SEC play. Yeah. Yeah, kind of wild to think of a player with three home runs combined in her freshman and sophomore years and 12 mm-hmm. this season as we're talking to yeah, Amanda Scarborough here on the Out of the Box podcast. Amanda, uh, one of the sweeps around the country, you know, sweeps are very hard to come by in the SEC, but a big one this past weekend was in Gainesville with Florida sweeping Arkansas. Arkansas coming in struggling a bit, mainly in the circle. Mary Half kind of going through a sophomore slump. Florida had looked rough <laughs> through their first couple SEC series obviously losing their first three but coming in sweeping Arkansas does that result say more about the Gators or the Razorbacks to you I thought it said more about Arkansas and don't get me wrong I think it's also a really good thing for Florida with where they were at having lost their first three SEC series I mean they needed that their bats woke up a little bit Kelly Barnhill looked good but coming into this season I had really high hopes for Arkansas to build off of the season that they had last year. And I don't think that this season yet is just a complete bust because while Mary Hath isn't pitching as well as she did last year, opponents are hitting uh, about 
50 points higher off of her. Um, Autumn Storms is actually having a better year than she had last year, so she's been able to help her out a little bit. My biggest concern with Arkansas is their defense. They've made 61 errors, about a 940 fielding percentage, and it just is a killer. When you do that defensively, it kills your pitchers. It kills your momentum offensively. It kills the, the field of the game, like, hey, we can be in here and beat a team like Florida. And, and I think, too, a team like Arkansas still has to learn how to win against a big-name team like Florida, a big-name team like Alabama, because it, you kind of do still play the Jersey game because Arkansas is still on the up-and-up. And a team like Florida and Alabama, like they've been at the top, and they kind of have an intimidation factor. But still yet, I was surprised that Arkansas did not come away with at least one game in that series um, and just goes to show that Barnhill threw really well and shut down their bats because Arkansas can still swing it pretty well, but their defense just kind of kills all their momentum. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, we're seeing something that we've talked a lot about on the podcast, and that's Arkansas dealing with expectations for the first time. You know, Mary Half having a phenomenal freshman season. I gave them all of the love in the preseason. I had them number two in my SEC poll, and it feels like all of that pressure has just made it a little tougher for them to score, defend, and pitch consistently, which is really weird to see for that team this year. I know. I, I am with you. I just did not expect it because Mary Haas, when she's pitching well, I mean, she's just fantastic with her rise ball and great spin, and she mixes in a changeup. I mean, that's just a, a recipe to go up and win against very good teams. And, you know, the scouting reports out on her. They know her a little bit better. Um, but I love the mix of her and Autumn Storms, who works more down, also spins a changeup. So they complement each other really well. I truly think when you look at their stats and, and watch them play, their their defense is just tough. I mean, 61 errors is that's just a lot. That's really, really hard to work through when you're giving up that many runs and you don't have an LSU explosive type offense to put up 10, 11 a game. Talking with Amanda Scarborough, and we're going to take a look at a couple of things nationally uh, branching out from the SEC. And one of the teams that we saw in week number two of the uh, of the season out in Tucson was the Arizona Wildcats, a team Alabama beat. Uh, but now uh, Arizona is really putting it together, hitting the ball as well as anybody in the country. Uh, Gray and I think that uh, UCLA is the most complete team in the country. Uh, JDH uh, yesterday or last week said that she thought Oklahoma, but it's it's one A one B there. Uh, but do you think Arizona is a legitimate challenger to UCLA out out west? Oh, I think Arizona is really good this season. I do, uh, but I think that UCLA is just on a different level, and I think that they have been since February. They have depth. They have athleticism. They have depth in their pitching staff and coming off the bench. They run base as well. Um, I just think that they have it all. And the thing about that Arizona-UCLA series at the end of the year is that it's going to be in L.A. So I'm just extremely interested to see how Arizona is going to handle that. I think it will be a great series. I mean, think about the last two um, conference series in the sense that Alabama and LSU play each other, although that will be the weekend before, and then Arizona and UCLA play each other. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but you guys, Taylor McQuillan, left-handed pitcher for Arizona, senior, never has been named an All-American, but has All-American type stuff. If she goes off one weekend and pitches out, or, or that weekend and, and pitches out of her mind, she can hold UCLA down because Arizona can score, uh, and they can score very quickly. So if I had to say right now who will win that series, I still think that it will be UCLA. But there's no doubt in my mind that I think that Arizona could win 
one of those games in Westwood. It is kind of bizarre to think about because when we called that game against Arizona, Taylor McQuillan was getting hit all over the yard by Alabama, and she the previous night had been hit all over by South Florida. And then to watch the Arizona State series, and I know you were calling last weekend or a couple weekends yeah. ago, yeah. it was just impressive to see how much she has improved just this year in terms of not making mistakes in the circle. Yeah, I think so too. She's a pitcher who unfortunately has always had kind of up and down moments. And I've always seen the potential in her, even when she was pitching as a freshman with Danielle O'Toole, um, they had two left-handed pitchers, Arizona did, and just a really great team, 16 and 2016, 2017. Um, but she just has those moments where she just gets in her own way, and I think she overthinks the situation. But when she throws her best stuff, she's truly an All-American, truly one of the best pitchers in the country. It just depends on which one that you're going to get. But um, you hope that her growth this year, she's been able to learn from that and carry on the, the um, type of pitcher that she was against ASU into the rest of the season. But um, I'm, I'm, again, I'm super interested to see how that series plays out, particularly how she throws against UCLA and which Taylor we get. Talking with Amanda Scarborough here on the Out of the Box podcast, dealing second with Amanda Scarborough. And the RPI came out today once again. I love to look at the list, see where everybody ranks. And I noticed that little JMU from the Colonial Athletic Association bumped up to 14, just continuing to move on up the RPI. This is a team that's 27 and 6 now. Megan Good continues to look spectacular in the circle. And I've heard a lot of buzz about this team potentially being a World Series spoiler. Do you see the Dukes as a possible dark horse? to go to Oklahoma City? Uh, I, I guess, and I'm going to say this on our podcast too, I want to get excited about them. I do, but I, I'm just quite frankly, I'm tired of getting excited about them and calling them the Cinderella and calling them the dark horse, and then they just don't come through. So to me, we can sit here and, and talk about Megan Good. And yes, she's terrific. And even Odyssey Alexander, who's another two-way player, she pitches and hits for them. And yes, they can be good, but they... They have to step up and do it. Like, if it was going to be this year, you have to believe that this would be their year to do it. They're hitting the ball a little bit better. Their offense is stronger. But to me, I, I am out on the fence because they haven't shown me otherwise. Um, and maybe this year is going to be the year, right? But um, I, I don't know. I, I want to buy into it, but I feel like we do every year and we get our hopes up, and then we only get our hopes slit down. So, um, though they do have a little bit more pop on their offense. Yeah, maybe it's their year, but I think it all comes down to matchups whenever we get the NCAA bracket and postseason and see who they're going to be matched up with in Super Regionals. So if not JMU, is there a non-Power 5 team that maybe jumps out like a Tulsa or a Louisiana or maybe even a Drake who's bumping up the RPI lately? I like that Drake pitcher. Um, I would say that JMU to me still has the best shot. I really would. And, and Louisiana is good, although their their best pitcher Summer Ellison I know has thrown a lot of innings. So I worry about how she is come postseason time. They're going to be able to swing the bat, but um, I would say that JMU, when you put it that way, has the best potential out of any of those teams to get to the World Series and kind of be that underdog. And you mentioned that. You know, it, it all comes down to matchups when you get into postseason, that that type of thing. But if, if you had to take a look at how the how college softball is looking right now, and say four or five different teams that you think are pretty much, you know, barring some some sort of something crazy happening, almost a lock for Oklahoma City. Who would you who would you put in there? Okay, so I would put in UCLA, Oklahoma, Florida State. 
Um, and then I would also put in LSU, and I'm trying to think of my fifth team here. Oh, Arizona. I've, I've been on the Arizona train. I think Arizona is really good. They haven't been, been to the World Series in a while. Um, I, I think they're going back this year. Those would be my five teams. And the only reason I left out of Alabama, um, because if you would have asked me three weeks ago, they would definitely have been in there. I, I only leave them out because of the question mark with Montana. I just I love her to death. She's awesome. Um, and it's nothing against Sarah Cornell or Courtney Gettens because I think that they've done a good job. But to me, Montana Fouts is just a must-have for Alabama to make it. Well, yeah, you know, any team, pretty much, if you you take their number one pitcher off, it it's going to hurt them exactly. no matter who it is. Yeah, yeah, that's not just Alabama. That's sure. going to be any team. It's just it's tough. And I, I just, for her sake, being a freshman and want to be out there and contribute, knowing how good she is, I'm sure it's just so hard for her. I'm sure she really wants to be out there. Um, so I'm pulling for him. I hope that she's able to get back out there and throw for them. So are we. <laughs> We'd love <laughs> yeah, to see her back. Makes it a lot more fun for us, I promise. <laughs> Stealing second here with Amanda Scarborough on the Out of the Box podcast. All right, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. I have one more question. I know you're a Texas Aggie, so I have to ask because we have this great segment called Tom's Hungry. And a couple weeks ago, we did the segment after we went to College Station. So I have to ask if you have ever been to Good Bull Barbecue. Um, I'm going to let every Aggie down who might be listening to this. Oh, no. Did you guys go there? Yes. Well, I did. Tom missed it. Yeah, that, that, that was oh, one. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Tom wasn't there. Okay. I ahead. wasn't. So it's okay. So we're, we'll all have to go together. The triumphant <laughs> trio as we are yes. here today. <laughs> next time yes, we're all in College word. Station. You found it. Yes. Uh, next time we're all in College Station, we're going to go because Gray has been talking nonstop about it and a lot of the team has too. So I'm looking forward to coming back during oh. the SEC tournament. Okay, so we're College making... Station has really upped its game, you guys. I mean, in all yeah. different ways. So I'm, I'm I'm on the College Station train right now for sure. That that and everything is a taco, and I'm not complaining about it. But it's it, it, all the taco places were great. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first thing that came to my mind too was tacos. But you want to get taco, go to College Station. Absolutely. I think that's Texas in general, though. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's a plan. We'll plan for that SEC tournament time. And for now, thank you, Amanda, for hopping on with us. It was great to steal second with you here on the show, and we'll talk to you soon. I'm glad that I could steal second because I didn't do it a lot in my career, but thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. So we've stolen second with Amanda Scarborough. Now it's time for us to round third, a new segment coming up. And plus, Tom and I pick our five, the teams that we think will make it to Oklahoma City. That coming up here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We have hit it in the gap, and now the outfielder, I guess, dropped it <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Tripped several times. <laughs> Either way, we are rounding third here on the podcast, and it is time for a brand new segment, cue intro music, called On Our Soapbox. Ooh. Yes, it mm. is time for Tom and I to stand up. And just rant. Just rant. And this is, <laughs> this is us doing what we respond to in off the wall (laughs) (laughs) right pretty much yes so we're going to talk about officiating and rules Mm. we saw the worst of times and the worst of times (laughs) in columbia south carolina officiating wise we saw rules be deployed for one side not the other now that does not mean the calls were incorrect as we said during the broadcast alabama had some out of the box calls that were correct Mm. The interference call, I guess is what it was, on Mayor Schroeder was correct. 
Technically. Technically, by the layer of a law. Um, South Carolina did not have any of these called on them, even though I noticed one specific out of the box that was not not called. Right. Not called. Mm-hmm. And I go back to the Mississippi State-Kentucky series from a couple weekends ago where Abby Cheek was doing the exact same thing Mary Schroeder was doing, except much more not in the correct path. And, and didn't, didn't she like bulldoze the first baseman? Oh, it was a trucking. Yeah, okay. It is, right. you know, on the old NCAA game where you could take the trucking up to 99. Yeah. Abby Cheek is the first person ever to get it to 100. <laughs> that was what she did. And I think it was Sarai New. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. Poor, poor Sarai. Oh. Just, so we get to the point where all of these calls are coming in. We're, but the problem I have with it is we're seeing it not called consistently in games, between teams, and also between series. Because I was talking with Allison Habits after the game, and she said, you know, with what happened to Maris, technically the rule is correct. But that rule was invented to stop things like what happened with Kentucky and Mississippi State, not with what happened with Schroeder, mm-hmm. where the ball just hit her. Right. Because it was a wide throw. The throw, I went back and looked, the throw was wide. And so I think we we have to find a way somehow for the umpires to make the correct calls, and we'll get to one call they missed terribly in a moment. Okay. But also call these correct calls uniformly around each crew. Because yeah. some crews are not calling it, some crews are, and that just that's unfair to these athletes. Yeah, it's not that's always been one of my major issues with the officiating is just the lack of consistency from day to day and series to series on it. You know, we saw you know a couple of years ago when they really, really started emphasizing the out of the box and actually changed what the rule was because the rule used to be you had to have the almost the entire foot out of the box for it to be called. Now, if any part of the foot is out of the box, it's out, you know, it's, it's an out. When that started, we saw a couple of weeks where every slapper was called for it almost every, every at bat. Right. And it, and it, it took, took the weapon completely out of the game for, and it, it really hurt a lot of teams. And then as the season went along, they got laxer and laxer about it. We've seen it before. Uh, there have been years where the pitching lane or the the illegal pitch, the Kelly Barnhill pitch, is <laughs> is really called, but it's not really called until you get to the World Series. So you're on national TV. The only you know this was this was even you know five to six years ago before series like this past weekend we're on TV. Right. So the only time that you got real big national attention on college softball was in the world series. And we're watching umpires be the main attraction of that world series because they're calling people for illegal pitches that they haven't been called for all, all season long. And that wasn't fair to the pitchers. You know, it, yes, by the letter of the law, you're making the right call, but you haven't called it all week, all year. Right. So you're, how, how can you expect them in there in the biggest games of the year? Now we're being ticky tack on this. Uh, it just it makes no sense. And I will go back to something that I said that I'm fully jumping on the bandwagon of. A lot of people smarter than I have said it for a long time. But out of the box should not be an out. It should be a strike. Yep. Because if a legal pitch is a ball, out of the box should be a strike because those essentially have the same. They're the same basic thing, just yeah. the offensive and defensive version. Right. Yeah. If you're going to have out of the box be an out, runners go back. You know, a legal pitch should be a walk. Yeah. I, I think it's just too harsh because it can just completely shut down an offense. And we keep waiting for that big game. I think there was one called in the World Series last year that affected one of the championship game series. I can't remember which one it was. But illegal pitches 
and especially out of the box, we keep waiting to see that really explicitly change a result, a big-time result. And when that happens, I think that's when change will actually come. But until then, uh, a lot of people hopefully are clamoring for some kind of adjustment to the rule. Yeah, and I would also like to see, I, I agree with that. I think it should just be a strike. It should not be being out. Um, and then if it happens on strike two, then I think it should just be a foul ball. And, yeah. And I don't, I don't think you should be called out for, for something that really doesn't create that much of an advantage for the hitter. Now, the, the, the main reason you have the, the rule is because they got to a point there with the slappers where it looked like they were almost halfway to the pitcher before they, you know, they were way out of the box. Right. Okay. I understand that, that that's a huge advantage for the hitter. We got to stop that. But none of the, and none of the outs that were called on Alabama this specific weekend were either KB size or Alyssa Brown gaining an advantage by being, having a toe outside the batter's box. Correct. So I, I think that's, that's the, that's the deal. I understand the letter of the law interpretation, but what advantage is being gained by the hitter? Going back to what Allison Habit said about the Mayor Schroeder play, you know, the out of the box rule was created for what you talked about. The batters that are basically on top of the plate already out of the front of the box when mm-hmm. they hit it. Right. Not for two toes over the line. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, and then the, you know, the play that happened, we're talking about Mary Schroeder was, it was a hit back to, uh, well, did the catcher or the pitcher and Dixie Rayleigh. Okay. The yep. pitcher ended up getting it. It was, it was a swinging bunch. She didn't hit it very well, but she hit it slowly to the pitcher and Rayleigh hit Maris, you know, trying to throw to first. And because Maris was technically inside of the, of the running lane, then she was called out and it was a, a it scored a run for Alabama. Alabama actually had momentum for the first yeah. time in two days. And a days. runner advanced to third as right. well. Yeah. yeah. And there might have been one or nobody out at that point, too. So it, it really changed the inning for Alabama and a possibility for a, for a comeback on Saturday. You know, pairing that to the out-of-the-box calls, and I think the, the call you're going to talk about as well that happened on Saturday. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Buckle in. <laughs> Thank the good Lord that replay is coming to the SEC tournament, but that is not enough. I hope that every single call is controversial so that we have to use replay so that we can get it right, so that we can show just how incorrect things have been this year and the last couple years in softball. To make a call and then to not go ask any of the other umpires to check you on it, is ridiculous in a clutch call, especially if, if a coach presumably comes out and asks for a second opinion to make a call that is blindly incorrect yeah. is ridiculous in a whole nother way. And the ending play of game two where KB sides hit it up the middle. Skylar Wallace was sliding into second hits the bag starts to slide up. It's actually very smooth the way she did it. Yeah. Cause I've seen the replay a ton. <laughs> Very smooth. The ball gets there as she's up. Not This is probably a good half a second, maybe a full second after she touches the bag. The fact that she was called out there and we don't have the capability to go back and look at it and get it right is absolutely absurd, especially in the SEC. The deepest softball conference, the best softball conference with some of the best teams in the country. To not have that capability... I, I could not put my anger into words at the end of game two. And the, the point of it was it might not have changed the result of the game. Alabama was still down 5-1. But you want to have a chance, and she was clearly safe. 
Yeah. I will never blame the result of a game on officiating ever because one call does not change how things went in an entire game. If we want to go back to that game, Bailey Hemphill left the bases loaded in the third inning. It was a big part of it. That call did not is not the reason Alabama lost, but it was a big part of why Alabama didn't have a chance to come back in that final inning, and that has to change in softball. Yeah, especially when you have the capability to do it. Every every SEC park has they have to have the capability to air every game that they play. Correct. So they have they have the capability, they have the equipment, they should there there should be replay in at least conference games, if not every game. Uh because the the goal is to get it right. And when you're looking at the level of athlete that is playing the sport now in the confined area that they're doing it, there's going every play is going to be close. <laughs> there's there's very rarely a not close play. And again, that's what the umpires are there for. If the umpires are not there for the obvious calls, we could make those. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, you could you could self umpire the the easy calls. It's the it's the close ones that that the umpires are there for. And I'm not in, and you're going to miss some. I'm not, I'm not necessarily blaming the umpire for that. Right. I would like for your percentage to be a little bit better, but, but you're going to, you're going to miss some every once in a while, but there needs to be a mecha- mechanism that can correct those mistakes. And when, again, to just take, to take the bat out of Alabama's hands in that, in that situation was just flat out wrong with Kaylee Town, Bailey Hempel right. coming up. So, Again, a lot of stuff had to still happen for Alabama even to tie the game, if not go ahead. And even if they went ahead, South Carolina still had to bat in the bottom of the seventh. Right. Again, it's not why Alabama lost the game, but it, it was one of those things that really stuck in your crawl considering everything else that had happened. And then you look at other games around the country because we're not just saying that because it happened to Alabama. Florida has an argument here against LSU. Mississippi State has an argument because of the Abbey Cheek play we just talked about. It's happening all over the country, all over the SEC, and you're just seeing too many missed calls. And yeah. I've heard rumblings. I don't know if it's official yet, but I've heard rumblings of a fourth umpire in the NCAA tournament. I think that could be helpful. But again, that works for the NCAA tournament when you've got X number of sites hosting games. You can't do that. Right, and the during NCAA, a midweek, and the NCAA is paying for the refs for the umpires to be there. Correct. You know, that, I think that that has a lot to do with why there's only three umpires is because you're asking either the conference or the individual schools to pay, and you know the budgets are already really big <laughs> to begin with. So, um, and softball is going to continue to bring in money, and hopefully it, we get to a point to where softball can afford to have a fourth official out there. But we've talked about this before. I don't know if that will really change a whole lot because. Again, it's a confined space. It's all about angles, not necessarily, um, you know, closeness or proximity. Right. Um, well, that was one of the issue I had uh, with this, the series before the Mississippi State series in Tuscaloosa. Several of the calls that were close, controversial, that I thought were missed, the umpire was in the wrong position. So, when if you're in the wrong position, you're not. Then you're you're not. It doesn't matter. Yeah, your percentage of possibly getting the call right goes even down for even further on these close calls. So uh, I don't know how much the I I don't think it'll hurt, but I don't know how much the fourth official will help. A lot of it is you're going to have to be able to slow it down and see these plays in, in replay, and you can do it quickly. That that's that's I know that's the one issue that people have with replay. You don't want to slow the game down. You don't want to have numerous breaks in the action you don't want to have it turn into the final two minutes of 
basketball that it's turned into where we go to the monitor for everything. Uh, but I'm sure there's remedies to that. But we can get this done in 30 seconds to a minute each time that there's a there's a close play. And uh, it'll, I don't think it'll hurt, hurt. I don't think it'll extend the game much at all. I don't think so either. And I'm excited to see how it works at the SEC tournament. That'll be a great litmus test because if you want all of the best athletes in the sport together on the best collective conference depth-wise, mm. SEC is the place to go. And we're also, on another note on this, we're going to need the umpires not to have a big ego about it. Uh, that's absol- That's another big part of it. The, the slide by Skylar Wallace, the fact that there was no conversation about it, right? just, set, just walking off, I had a big issue with that as well. Because the problem was there were probably about 3,000 people there that because it was a huge crowd, everybody else involved, that saw the play, and the umpire was the only one that thought she was out. <laughs> and he's the one that matters, but I'm sure the other two umpires, if you know, if you gave them truth serum, would say, yeah, she was, she was, she was definitely safe. But to have the have the ego to not even, I'm not even have a conference when we've seen nothing but conferences all all, all year long, and we've seen overturned calls many a time out of con- after conferences this right. year. Uh, but as far as the replay goes, I remember this is again five or six years ago now in the college women's college world series, they had the K zone ESPN brought in the K zone for the first time they've ever had it for softball. And the umpire strike zones were so bad. They had to take it off. Mm. And part of that was because the, the umpires were complaining about, well, this make, this is making me look bad because your K zone is, is not, is not showing that I'm calling strikes. Well, no, your, your strike zone is bad. Get <laughs> your strike zone should be pretty close to what the K zone is. Yes. So every every umpire, that's what I I hate when we have to do games is I have to watch the umpires and figure out their strike zone. That's not how it should be. No, there there is a strike zone. Every umpire should conform to that strike zone, not have their own strike zone. Yeah. So that's us on our soapbox. <sighs> I feel better. I that feel better. That was good. Boulder off. <laughs> All right, we're gonna do this. It's not gonna quick. change anything, but I feel good about no. it. just. Well, just maybe it. I'll I'll yeah. send this to a couple people. Okay. All right. It is time for us to pick our five. We're going to do this fast. Okay. We're going to alternate. It is our five teams right now for OKC. So right now, the five that you think, oh, yes, we will see them in the World Series. Okay. I will let you go first. All right. Oh, I'm going to start then with uh, UCLA. I will agree with you. I think that's almost a lock, right? Yeah, do you see a world where UCLA is not in the World Series? I mean, again, unless, unless there's an injury to our player of the year. Or uh, they just meet up with somebody in Super Regionals that just has their number for some reason. Nobody is unbeatable, depending on the matchup. But I I would be just absolutely floored if UCLA is not in Oklahoma City at the end of the year. It would be shocking. Yeah. Uh, my number two, I agree with UCLA. My number two is Oklahoma. I think at this point, seems pretty clear. Their hitting is great. Their pitching, I'm a little concerned about because they haven't pitched exceptionally against the better teams they played this year. I'm intrigued to see them against Texas, but I, I just have a hard time seeing Patty Gasso not in Oklahoma city. I'm going to agree with Oklahoma being there as well. Um, as long as they're a top eight seed, I, I think they, they have a pretty a pretty good uh, road to Norman and or to Oklahoma city from Norman, which is not a very long road. <laughs> it's um, like a sidewalk right, basically. pretty much. Again, I think the only issue that they might have is how that series with Texas will go. 
Uh, but even if they lose that series, it doesn't preclude them from being in Oklahoma City. So I'm going to I'm agree with that. I'll go with the Sooners as well. All right. Number three. Go with the defending national champions. Number one in the RPI, Florida State. Yep. I have uh, I have concerns with the pitching behind Megan King, but and and a couple concerns with the offense because they, sometimes you have off days, but getting one hit by Louisville and shut out is a little concerning. Yeah. So I'm not you know saying uh oh Florida State's bad now, but I don't know. I still I still see they're certainly going to host supers. You're not going to be one in the RPI at this point in the year and. Yeah, you know, drop down that dramatically. So I, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I don't see a situation where Florida State is in Tallahassee for super regionals and don't doesn't advance to, to Oklahoma City. I think if you ask anybody that knows anything about softball, the three we just named are locks right now. For They're pretty OKC. much pretty much the locks. Yeah. So this is where it gets interesting. It's like saying, you know, I think UConn's going to make the final four in women's <laughs> basketball, well, even when they're two seed. Right. Even when they're two seed, I was like, well, I was shocked. Gonna... I was shocked they didn't win the world, win it all. <laughs> Now it is time for it to get interesting. Mm-hmm. Four and five. My four, I'm going to go with LSU. I think we're going to see LSU in the World Series. I think because of their offense. Amanda Sanchez was in a bit of a slump in Starkville. She, uh, but I, I think she'll you know, heat back up eventually. That offense just has too many good bats. I think the pitching is good enough to win in regionals. And I think if they just keep going along, the SEC will have at least two Super Regionals hosts. And I have a hard time seeing LSU at this point, considering they're one of the few that only has three conference series left, not being one of those two. Yeah. So I like LSU. I like LSU, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to put any of the SEC teams in as my five, hmm. just because they're, they're still so much up in the air. Yeah. You know, they're any, any, you know, if LSU goes on a, a losing streak here, where you know if they lose if they lose you say they only have three series left if they lose them all two one and then maybe go one or two and out in the sec tournament they might fall out of the top eight that's true yeah they still play kentucky this weekend at arkansas alabama at home they they can lose all three of those series yeah i don't think they will but i think they can uh so i'm that's the only thing that's precluding me from putting uh, LSU in there. So I am going to go with Arizona as, as my really yeah. okay. Power power. I, I, I think because I, I, if they host it at the new Rita, if they get to the super regionals and get to host there, uh, McQuillan continues to improve as the season has gone along. And with that power, uh, I think they'll be able to, uh, to bulldoze their way there. Yeah. 77 home runs as a team. Goodness gracious which is good. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) That'll get it done. First in the country. All right. My fifth team. You're going to love it. Oh, okay. Washington. Mm. And I say Washington, that is on the condition that they host super regionals because I just don't see any team other. Well, UCLA did it, but UCLA is the best in my opinion. Yep. I don't see a team going into Seattle and winning a super regional there in three games. No, It's, it's just too hard to do. If Washington hosts Supers, put them in the World Series. That's my fifth team. I think I'm going to agree with you, and it pains pains uh, me more than no. I can pains me more than I can say. But yeah, for pretty much the same reasons, I just if they if they can get themselves in that top eight, it's such a tough place to travel to, place to play in, uh, and they still have some really good players. Uh, they didn't lose a whole lot off of last year's team. They lost a couple people, but they're they're still really good. So I'll I'll go Washington. All right. Ow, ouch. I know. And again, I 
I'm not saying that those are, I don't think those are the top five teams in the nation. The, the five that we put in. Right. I just think, I think they're more of a surefire because of their conference. They're not going to get beat up as much as the sec teams are, but if an sec team is hosting a super regional, I, I would not bet against them. I would agree as well. Yep. I would agree as well. So we have rounded third. We have aired our grievances about <laughs> officiating. We have picked our five. And now it is time, Tom, for us to head home. It's time for us to head home. The sun is sinking down over the horizon. It is <laughs> dusk. It is time for us to get in the car. Closing time to play on the radio and us to head home here on the Out of the Box podcast. Predictions for the weekend coming up. A smaller off-the-wall segment and the return of everyone's favorite, Tom's Hungry. That's the one I'm most, most ready for. Are you most hungry excited. right now? Absolutely, 100%. Me too. <laughs> I'm getting dinner after this. That coming up here on the Out of the Box Podcast, Episode 6. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Out of the Box, Episode 6. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury here with you. Been a great episode so far. At the plate, we broke down Alabama's first series loss of the year to South Carolina. Then we advanced to first, talked about the SEC, broke down the RPI. Then we stole second with the great Amanda Scarborough. Great conversation with her. The tremendous trio. Yes, the tremendous trio. And we have have booked lunch and a podcast with Scarborough at Good Bull. It's it's all it's all happening. Yes, <laughs> like the uh, the uh, Rand Paul gift. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. Yes, and we'll get tacos out of it. Uh, of course. So, and then we rounded third and talked about officiating when we were both on our soapbox and picked our five. Now it is time for us to head home and make predictions. The standings. I am winning. Oh wow! Wow. Gray has seven correct. Tom has six. Again, this is series winner and best of yeah games. Mm -hmm. Last weekend, that was the difference. I got Ole Miss, two out of three. LSU, two out of three. Georgia, two out of three. Tom got Georgia, LSU. But Kentucky, it looked good for the Wildcats for a while. I I thought I had it. Yes, that was the difference. Mm. And both of us still have yet to pick a correct Alabama conference. (laughs) Oh, good. So we'll get to that later on. Let's start with South Carolina at Auburn. Tom, I will let you go first. Well, if that South Carolina team we saw this past weekend shows up, but then if that Auburn team that just beat two out one, two out of three in Tennessee shows up, it's uh, I think this is going to be a two, one series. And uh, in that situation, I'm going to go with the home team. I'll say Auburn wins two out of three. I'm going to agree with you. I'm taking Auburn two one. I just think, A, Chardonnay Harris pitching well was impressive. That said a lot to me. Their offense is hot. I just have a hard time believing that Dixie Raley can do what she did against Alabama the next weekend on the road to Auburn, whose offense is just as good, if not percentage-wise, a little bit better batting average overall. I just have a hard time seeing that. So I, I don't think they win the series. I'll take Auburn two out of three. Okay. Next up, Mississippi State at Tennessee. On paper, this looks like a sweep. And yet, I know what Mississippi State's offense can do if they have a hot game. And Tennessee has had issues in just one game in every series. And then they had issues in another game mm-hmm. offensively right. against Auburn. But pitching has been an issue in one game in each conference series. So I like Tennessee to win two out of three. 
Yeah, I do too. Uh, being in Knoxville, I think they'll have a bad taste in their mouth at the way that the, the Auburn series went. Uh, they probably feel as though they left. They, they let at least one, if not two games get away from them as far as the standings go. And I, I think they'll come out and play well, but Mississippi state, as we talked about when we talked about them earlier on in the podcast, they're, they're going to be a very tough team to sweep. So I think, I think state will slug their way to at least one victory. So I'll go to one as well. Yeah, I think that'll be a fascinating series. Excited to see what Falelu and Mia Davidson do up with the train roaring in the background. Mm, that's that is the X factor always. Yes. Will they hit the train <laughs> as it's scre- as it's screeching by? I can see Ma- Mia can be get quiet. It. Yeah, Mia or Fall can get it. All right, Missouri at Ole Miss this weekend, Tom. This is uh, <sighs> your surprise team versus my surprise team. <laughs> right at yeah. my surprise team and. Nothing that happens here would surprise me. Yes. I mean, Missouri could sweep it and I wouldn't be shocked. Ole Miss could sweep it. I wouldn't be shocked, but I don't think a sweep happens here. I'm going to say Ole Miss wins two out of three. This is one of those days. We're just going to keep agreeing. I've got Ole Miss two out of three. I think Missouri's offense is good enough to win the series, but Ole Miss right now is just playing with such confidence. Yeah. And Molly Jacobson, even though she got beat up in game one against Kentucky, came back, pitched really well in game three of that series. So give me Ole Miss, two out of three. Okay. Next up, Kentucky at LSU. Mm-hmm. I am struggling with this one. I think there's going to be a sweep this weekend. Okay. I'm toying between a couple options. Yeah, there's only three more that, that we haven't talked about. So. Yeah, I... um. I think LSU is going to have another one of those one games, just like Tennessee, where their pitching is a little rough and Abby Cheek or somebody in the Kentucky lineup takes advantage. But will they be able to match whatever the LSU offense is putting up against pitchers who have really struggled in conference play overall? Mm. Even Autumn Humes, who has had a, what, 0-6-4 ERA the first two weekends? Yeah. So I'm going to take LSU in a sweep. Wow. Yes. And I think that is, and that's unfortunate because that is literally the worst thing that could happen to Alabama other than getting swept themselves yeah. this weekend. Yeah, because, I mean, you got to find a couple of losses for LSU. Again, they only have the three conference series remaining, only nine games left. I think Kentucky will get one. I'm going to say LSU wins two games to one. I, I think, you know, a, you know, a couple of cheek bombs will, will happen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm going to say Kentucky will, will slug their way to one, but I would not be stunned if LSU was able to get the sweep, but sweeps are just so hard. I'm going to go with Kentucky getting one, two out of one. Yeah, the other series I was toying with, Florida at Texas A&M. I might still be toying with it. No spoiler. Tom, you go first. Oh, I'm not toying with it. I'm picking it. I think Florida wins, sweeps them. Wow. Yeah. Again, I'm 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 worried that Florida is getting it together. <laughs> so, and, and again, you know, I think it's almost definite Florida win the first two games. It's whether or not they can win the win that Sunday game when when the Aggies come along. Uh, but uh, I think Florida will have a little bit too much for them. Uh, I'll go with the Gators. I'm going to take Florida two one. I think A and M just finds a way to win one. I don't know what pitcher it'll be. I don't know. Probably on Sunday, but that's Barnhill Day. So I well, don't know. Every day is Barnhill Day for You're- Florida. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. I've got Florida two one, and finally, Alabama hosting Georgia Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We have both had four Alabama conference series to pick. We have missed all four. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. Yes. So I don't. And you know what's what's worse is I have picked a game off of each one. I had we uh, I had sweeps the first two weekends. Alabama won two one. Right. 
And then I had Alabama winning 2-1. South Carolina won 2-1. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to do here. Uh, I'll let you go first. Okay. I'm going to pick Alabama to win two games to one. I'm going to pick 2-1 Alabama. Some of this is contingent on Montana fouls. I think I think it would really, really help Alabama. It, it helps anybody to have their number one pitcher, obviously. So I, I'm not I'm not... I'm not breaking any new ground here, but I think if you have Montana Faust out there, it changes things up a little bit. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of going on the assumption you don't have Montana Faust. I hope we do, but I'm, I'm going to say if you don't have Montana Faust, uh, Georgia finds a way. It might be the Monday, the Monday night game where you're, you're pitching your, your third, you're trying to figure out, you know, who you, who you throw out there for that third game. But I think, you know, Sarah Cornell, she's looked great on Fridays. I think she can keep this, keep the, uh, the really potent, uh, Georgia offense down. Uh, Courtney Gettins has pitched well, uh, well as well. So I, I think Alabama will win the first two and maybe that Monday night game is a tough loss, but overall, um, uh, I think it's going to be a good week for Alabama as long as I think a lot of what will, you'll kind of see what happens on Wednesday against a, a bad Georgia state team. If they're able to come out, kind of get their mojo back offensively, uh, execute um, when, when they have the chances. I mean, if, if Alabama comes out and just hits like seven solo home runs, I don't think that really changes right. your thoughts. But if you know if Alabama gets the bases loaded and then knocks some people in, doesn't leave the base, doesn't leave a lot of runners on base, and you think, okay, we kind of got the offense rolling again. Uh, the, that's the most important thing. Alabama just got to get that timely hit again. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'll ask this: Montana Fouts, say she comes back, does that change your pick? Uh, or do you just feel Georgia offensively yeah, finds I, a way to get a game? Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say. With or without Montana Fouts, it's 2-1. But I think if Fouts is there, I think a sweep is definitely very possible. I will take it a step further. I think if Montana Fouts comes back, you will see a sweep. But I'm taking Alabama 2-1 if Montana Fouts does not come back, and that is the way I am operating until I am told she is coming back. Right. So taking Alabama 2-1, I think Georgia offensively will just find a game, one of the games, to win. Maybe it's a Saturday game. I think that game is contingent on who's able to wake up first because that is an 11 a.m. game. It's an early game, yeah. yeah. Early in the morning. And And I hope we see a situation like we saw in South Carolina on Saturday. It was their spring game at williams Bryce. It was a big day on campus, and you saw a great crowd. I know you'll see a great crowd at uh, the Rose House with a day and everything else going on uh, for Alabama. So hopefully the uh, the atmosphere will help Alabama uh, wake up first. Yes, patrons, please come by. Yes. Oh, you know, I'll throw in one more prediction. Oh, it's Masters. Masters. Yeah. yeah. Who are you taking? <laughs> oh wow. Um, this is very on the spot. This very was on not the spot. on our rundown. Throwing it out there. Well, I mean, Tiger. Just taking Tiger. Time for Tiger. <laughs> Time for it to happen. Uh, give me Rory McIlroy. Okay. Either that or some European I've never heard of. <laughs> some guy from <laughs> Denmark. <laughs> some guy with seven J's in his name <laughs> will somehow get it done. Oh, uh, well, I am. Uh, I'm excited to see that. Should be a great series in Tuscaloosa. We'll watch the Masters if there's a rain delay, which, you know, yeah. there might be. Who well, knows? We hope not. But and when we have delays, we like to eat. Sometimes we'll run, go pick up food. We'll rob the concession stands. <laughs> And when we're on the road, we'd like to eat as well. Yes. And that is the segue for the newest top segment of all, Tom's Hungry. Yes. So, Tom, what's got you hungry 
Well, it was a good weekend in Columbia as far as the eating went. We were in a, a centralized location with the hotel, so we were able to walk pretty much anywhere we wanted to and get some really good food. Honorable mentions go to Surefire uh, Tacos and Tortillas, which was that that they have really good tacos. But I don't want people to think that all I eat is tacos on the road because that was all all College Station was. So Surefire was delicious. Yeah, Surefire. Surefire was really good. Uh, Old Chicago had out, outstanding pizza. Thir- thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, but I'm going to go with my number one pick from this weekend: a place called Grill Marks. That would be Grill Marks. Yes, because if we're saying it, that means you should go if <laughs> go you're check, in Columbia. Go check out Grill Marks. It was outstanding. Uh, by the by, the name you can probably guess. Burgers are are the main deal there. Uh, I got something called the Old Mark Donald, which had which is a cheeseburger with a fried egg on it, bacon. Oh, oh it was so good. Stop it. Just just wow. It was outstanding. Their their uh, fries were really good. The nachos were great. Yeah, as the well. nachos were. They had chili on the nachos. I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, so uh, Grill Marks in in uh, Columbia. Yeah, I will also shout out Grill Marks. That is my Tom's Hungry pick as well. Um, I didn't order for the menu. I was kind of in the mood for some pimento cheese, to be quite honest. So I got a pimento cheeseburger oh, with okay. some mayo on there and some lettuce, and it was just, it was really good. Yeah, again, speaking of a Master's Weekend, pimento cheese. You yeah, know, absolutely. And we weren't far from Augusta. That's, you know, we had to drive through Augusta to get there. Why did, what were we doing? Why are we here? Why are we, <laughs> why did we not stay and go to the Master's? Have you ever been to the Masters? I went to a practice round once. Okay, I've never years been. ago. That's a uh, that is a bucket list item for me. That'd be awesome. I to would get to. die. <laughs> I would love to go. And I don't even like pimento cheese, but I, I... <laughs> you're you're actually there for the golf, right? I'm, yes, indeed. I'm going for the pimento cheese. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah. our next Tom's hungry mm-hmm. will be Gainesville. The guest Gaines, yes. And I, I we're going to have to, it's kind of a condensed weekend because it's Easter weekend. So it's a doubleheader Friday and a single game Saturday. So we're going to have to choose wisely. Yeah. I'll have my car so I can go just pick up takeout from places okay. and we'll have a buffet. Cause it's, it's all for research for Tom's yes. hungry. That's right. It's all for science. <laughs> yes. It's science. It's not because I'm fat. It's because <laughs> you know I do it for you people, for the listeners. Yes, We're trying to help all of you <laughs> go to grill marks in Columbia and grill marks. Retweet it when I eventually tag <laughs> right. you. Tag you in this yes. coming up. All right, so we're going to do a slightly condensed off the wall. Okay, we're not going to go off on what are you people thinkings. Well, we're going. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we could, but yeah. we, but we've already we've already talked too much about food and predictions. <laughs> so, Tom, what was the most off the wall thing you saw this week? Well, I mean, I think just a general, you know, sky is falling attitude. Uh, because of, of the series loss, I think there was some undervaluing of how good South Carolina was uh, in some of the comments. But I would say just the, again, not pointing anything specific, but just a general statement. And uh, I say this also saying that 99% of all of the Alabama fan base is awesome. It is Agreed. that they are, this is the best, uh, the best softball fans in all of college softball the reason why we've had super regional style crowds in uh, in March in Tuscaloosa, they, yeah, you got Alabama fan base is awesome. You want to know what we're what you're saying? Come this weekend, see that yeah. crowd, right? Best fans in America. It's just unfortunate that you know there's a very small segment of it that becomes very vocal on online, and then they're the ones that we're talking about. Who gave them the internet? Right? Yes. What? If, why? Why? Why do you have a phone with data? Uh, but <laughs> but I would just. Just challenge if you are posting something on 
on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, things like that. I would just challenge you to realize the players can see that. If you're saying something, especially if you're saying something about a player, which, Absolutely. You, sh- which you should never do. Yeah. If you want to take a shot at a coach, I don't agree with it. Yeah. But they're right. getting paid for the job. Right. So, sure. Never go after a player. Ever. Right. By so, name. Right. And especially if it's not something playing related. Right. So, that, that that's the main thing I will say on that. Just, just you know, think about it before you press end. Which I know you probably won't, but think about it. <laughs> <laughs> At least give it like At a least, second. Right. You know, consider things. All right. My off the wall. A lot of people were calling Dixie Rayleigh and what Alabama's faced in conference play average pitching. Dixie Rayleigh, probably in the grand scheme, if you look at the overall resume, probably top 15 pitcher in the conference. Probably not a top five. Probably wouldn't take her in the top mm. 10. Maybe. I think she she's borderline top 10. You would take her in the top 15. Yeah. A lot of people, first off, top 15 in the SEC is not average, but a lot of people were right. calling <laughs> yeah. what Dixie Rayleigh was throwing, what Emily Williams against Mississippi State was throwing, what Kendall Potts was throwing, average pitching. Look, you can be an average pitcher. These aren't average pitchers, but you can be, and you can still have a great day. These are good pitchers having excellent days. Kendall Potts was walking people, sure, but she was hitting her spots. Emily Williams, same thing. If you want to know how good Emily Williams was, next weekend, game one against LSU, shuts him out. Yep. And Dixie Rayleigh just pitched out of her mind. It was yeah. just impressive. Sometimes an okay pitcher or a good pitcher just pitches excellent. That doesn't mean that that the offense, Alabama's offense in particular, cannot hit. It just means they couldn't hit that pitcher that day. Yeah. And when you look at what pitching is – it's not always who can strike out the most, who can even pitch a shutout, but it's who can keep the opposing batters off balance. Correct. And that's what Williams and, and Rayleigh, that's what they were able to do against Alabama. They kept Alabama a little bit off balance. They weren't totally dominating. Emily Williams was walked, what, 13 people? Right. I yeah. Mean- and again, you know, that what was the issue with Alabama this weekend? leaving runners on base. So that means there were people on base. Correct. That just didn't get the timely hits because they were being kept off balance. Yeah. And that, that that's all that it comes down to. And with Dixie Rayleigh, what kept Alabama's batters off balance? Hitting her spots. Mm-hmm. If you hit your spots, it's going to be a good day for you. Yeah. And I think a lot of Alabama's issue all in the two games that they lost was um, just not was bad pitch recognition. Yeah. You know, there, there were several pitches that were down the middle of Alabama didn't swing at. A lot of them off speed. Right. So it's that I think that that has and that, again, a lot has to do with, you know, keeping the batters off balance. The baseball uh, correlation would be Jamie Moyer. He didn't throw it over 85 hardly ever, but he hit a spot mm-hmm. and he kept the batters off balance. Right. Greg Maddox, you know, to, he, he could he threw a fastball, but he hit his spot. And he kept the, the he kept batters off balance Absolutely. all the way to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he didn't throw it as hard as Randy Johnson did, but he didn't have to. So then that's that's what it's all about. So that's it. Yeah, that's what's off the wall. Yes, just feels good. Try try not to think that the sky is falling because gasp Alabama lost a series on the road and has four losses and has four out of forty two losses. And need I remind you? <laughs> that at the end of last year, literally the end, I'm in Virginia watching the game. You're mm-hmm. in the booth signing off. 
Yep. Alabama's lost to Washington. Uh-huh. The final win total was 36 last year. Wow. Alabama is 38 right now. Yeah. So everybody, it's fine. No, no so need to worry. Everybody calm down. But I understand why there, there is a tendency maybe to now, oh my gosh, the offense can't hit. Oh no, it's PTSD for right, sure. For sure. Yeah. But again, Bailey Impel is in the top 10 in single season RBIs in Alabama history already. And there's still a month of the season left to go. Yeah. And I'll also throw out, I went back and looked at the SEC conference game stats where there's not a huge sample size. Alabama didn't hit well against South Carolina in game three. That game didn't move the needle. Yeah. So you have to look at it in the grand scheme. Alabama is still first in runs scored in conference play. Still right up there in home runs. LSU passed them this weekend. So everything's fine. Yeah. Everything, nothing yeah. to worry about. Everybody settle down. And if you really want to see how fine everything is, come to Rhodes this weekend. Oh, my goodness. Saturday, it's gonna be Sunday, fun. Monday. It's going to be a big weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will be tweeting about that matchup. And to find out <laughs> what we're saying, Tom, where can people find you on social media? Just go to at T Canterbury, C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y-R-T-R on Twitter. And uh, we'll get, you get all sorts of fun information there. Uh, Might have been a little bit of, uh, of, just good-natured fun poking at Auburn after the uh, Final Four. Just a, a tee-hee Just a little here. bit, a little bit ha-ha. <laughs> Look at that. A little bit of wrestling with WrestleMania happening this past weekend. And, uh, of course, some, a lot of good Alabama softball stuff there. As always, you can follow me at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. You can also follow the show's account at Out of the Box underscore pod on Twitter. And if you can't make it to Rhodes, you can listen to Tom and me on the radio this weekend. Yeah, we're uh, all the games are on 93.3 FM here in Tuscaloosa and uh if you're not in Tuscaloosa or if uh, again if you're if you're at Rhodes and you want to listen in, don't have a radio handy, uh just uh, you can go to rolltide.com, go to the schedule page. There's live audio link right there and you can uh, listen to it all happen. Yes, if you really want to be the real MVP, Come to Rhodes, bring your headphones <laughs> right, or earbuds rather. Don't bring head. Don't look like that guy. Bring, <laughs> bring your AirPods or earbuds, plug it in, listen to us while you're watching the game live or, and if you have to watch it at home, I don't know who's doing TV this weekend or yes, I do. It's a, uh, it's uh, Beth Moens, Michelle Smith and Caleb bro. Oh, BMO's coming in. BMO's coming in as well as our good buddy, friend of the show, Caleb bro and Schmitty and Schmitty. Yes. Um, watch them mute it. Listen to us. Go back and watch their commentary later. And uh, yeah, all, all those members from the Seven Innings podcast, which again, uh, Amanda Scarborough, who was our, our special guest here on the podcast today, is a part of. Uh, and again, don't don't bench anybody else. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, producers of the seven, <laughs> whoever it is, Jersey Meg, Jimmy Softball, don't don't bench your players. We apologize. We will shout everyone out, and we're going to continue to Oprah you. Let's get the crossover at Good Bull. Let's make it happen. Looking forward to it. SEC, it's already scheduled. I mean, we're all there. <laughs> Might so, as well do it. You know, and, and Good Bull will have us, I'm sure. The In the Circle guys can come out. It'll yes. be huge. Oh, my gosh. It is. Massive. Talk about a tra- marvelous trio or whatever it is. <laughs> Terrific trio. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, that was a, a great episode. What a fantastic one. Thank you to Amanda Scarborough for joining us tonight to talk a little softball. And thank you, loyal listeners, for tuning in to another episode of this podcast. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I am Gray Robertson. We'll see you this weekend for a Saturday, Sunday, Monday party at Rhodes. And then next week for another episode of Out of the Box. See you next time.